So March 29th, 1987, at the time, was the largest live gathering in the history of the United States. WrestleMania III and the battle between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Uh, the WWF was, was a new uh, um, venture, and Hulk Hogan was the champion for three years. And shortly before the WrestleMania III, uh, Andre the Giant kind of had a little quib uh, to Hulk Hogan and said, it's nice to be the champion for three years. At that time, they were friends. And, of course, this is all drama. Andre the Giant broke from Hulk Hogan, stole his manager, and there was this epic battle between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Now, I have, have had the privilege to see Hulk Hogan in person. He is a big man, right? Um, a little bit bigger than me, but not much, right? And Andre the Giant makes Hulk Hogan look like a little fella, right? He, this is an enormous man, uh, 525 pounds. And the, the question is, is who is the strongest? Who is going to win this epic battle? Who is going to be the champion? And those of you who were seven or eight or nine years old when you were watching this, you probably remember the, the great uh, attempt that Hulk Hogan did, tried to lift up Andre the Giant for a body slam and couldn't do it. And then, of course, as the event went on, he garnered more strength magically and picked him up and slammed him down and won with his patented leg kick. Hulk Hogan remained champion. Well, that story between this, this quest for power, whether it's uh, a WrestleMania event, and they're tapping into something that's very common to our to our day. You can say it's in wrestling, it's in, in boxing, MMA, college football, uh, politics, this quest for who is supreme, who will be the number one power. Uh, well, that's really what we're going through the next several weeks as we look through Elijah. This, this question is, is God supreme? Is God the ultimate power, or are there other gods? Is there other gods that should be worshipped and honored. Now, we think that may be kind of a crazy question, but our, our nation believes that. Our nation believes that, that God, Yahweh, the one creator God, the one we, we would say as the, is the only God, that he is just one of many gods. Uh, that is a very common theme. We are a polytheistic nation. We believe that there are many ways uh, to worship, many ways uh, to find God. Well, as we look in 1 Kings 17, as we study the story of Elijah, we want to kind of first start back at the end of chapter 16 and kind of see how things are set up uh, for Elijah's presence. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings 16, beginning in verse 29. 1 Kings 16, beginning in verse 29. God's Word says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Hear this, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel, Bethel built Jericho. He laid his foundations at the cost of Ibrahim, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Zagub, according 
to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, those of you who are kind of following and tracing through Israel's history, uh, David became king under a united Israel. Uh, David uh, turned the kingdom over to Solomon, uh, and, and the kingdom was still united. Then his son, Rehoboam, came, and they were split the northern and the southern kingdom. And as you read through First uh, Kings, what you see is that so-and-so was the king of Judah, and he did what was good in the sight of the Lord. So-and-so was the king of Israel, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And you see this leadership kind of reflecting how the nation lived. And then we get to Ahab. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than any other, other kings before him. So at this time, when there is this, this battle between the, the king of Israel, who is saying, we worship Baal and Yahweh, and God. There is this duality, this syncretism, right? That God is not the only God, but there are other gods you can, you can worship. And now we see this battle that's going to begin between uh, Israel and Israel's prophets, Elijah, and uh, those who worship Baal. So we get to our text this morning, and our first point is that God shows his power over the ravens. God shows his power over the ravens. You see, as the outline follows through, this is all about how God showing that he is the one supreme God, that he is he and he alone is God. We begin in verse 1. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tish- Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab. Now remember, Ahab is not a very... Nice guy, right? He is doing wicked in the eyes of the Lord beyond all other kings that were before him. And and God called Elijah and said, Elijah, go speak to Ahab. Now, it's one thing that you would probably get nervous to speak to speak in front of a good king, a benevolent king, a gracious king. But no, he's going in front of a malevolent, evil, wicked Ahab, the king of Israel. And this is what God tells him to say. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives. Before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Just just hear what he's saying there. He's reminding Ahab of who God is as the Lord. Anytime you see the Lord in all capitalization, all caps in the Old Testament, it's saying this is the the, the name for Yahweh. It is the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Israel. And here he's reminding the king that as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. The the one true God is is living versus the the false God of Baal who is no God at all. And and he reminds that even the purpose in serving him, that the Lord whom before I stand. You know, what, what... what Elijah had the choice to do, what he, he had the choice, just like anybody else in Israel, the choices that we all have today, is that are we going to stand before the Lord and serve Him, or are we going to serve the idols of our day? As we just kind of finished Revelation, one of the themes that I didn't expect to see uh, in Revelation, but was very, very kind of woven throughout, is are you going to bow to the secular state? Are you going to bow to having a, a job that pays you good money? Or are you going to bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are you going to, to, to quiet your faith uh, because you're afraid to offend people in the workplace? Or are you going to stand before the Lord, the God of Israel, and say, I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And he and he alone is, is God. We all have choices, every one of us. But I, I just want you to see that the courage it took for Elijah to speak this. Because remember, we, we know what happens in the second half of chapter, this first section. Look at verse 
2, it says, The word of, of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the book Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, did God give a promise to care for him before he went and spoke to the king? Well, no. God said, do what I tell you to do without knowing what's going to come. How many times has God asked you to do the same? He asked for your obedience today. He's not always going to lay out the, the outcome of what's going to happen. He wants you to trust Him. Have faith that He will care for you when you walk in obedience. Only after did, God, did He speak to God, tell Him to go hide and that He would provide for Him. Friends, it takes courage to follow God. It takes courage to be obedient to the Lord. In our day, more than days past. But notice what happens here uh, in the rest of the, this section. It says, You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Sheriff, that is east of the Jordan. Now he's leaving, he's going by himself, he's not traveling with anyone. And it says, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Does that sound oddly familiar? Israel wandering in the wilderness, God sending bread from heaven, sending the quails of meat for, for food. Uh, what, what, what God is doing is kind of showing the whole people of God is that when my people trust me, I will not change. I will provide for them. I was the same God of Israel who, who freed you from the Egyptians, who, who led and fed you in the wilderness from manna from heaven and, and the quail and the, and the water from the, the rock. God has not changed. And each day, Israel and each day, Elijah had to do what? They had to wait for God to show up. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes it takes us a while to, to learn things God's trying to teach us. And I imagine it, both in Israel and the wilderness and Elijah here, each day, are the ravens going to come? Are the ravens going to come and, and bring me food? Like they came yesterday... But there's, there's this little twinge of doubt, right? Maybe they won't come today. Maybe God will abandon me today. Based on his past promises of being there, day in and day out, yet something else happens in our life, and what's our first thought? Is God going to show up today? Is God going to show up in, in this, in this relationship, in, in this, these finances? Will God be there? I think that we are often quick to abandon God's faithfulness. We forget that God is always faithful. Now, sometimes what God asks you to do is not easy, is it not? <laughs> right? Sometimes God takes you through various challenges. I think what Elijah is doing here, he's not just kind of looking, having us look back to uh, Israel. But I think he's calling us to look forward to the Messiah to the, the coming of the Lord Jesus. Elijah is acting as the, as the representative of Israel here. He is the embodiment of Israel, living in, in faithfulness, in the midst of this difficult time under King Ahab. And it kind of looks forward to the time when, when the Lord Jesus, the, the true Israel, the true Israelite, who will live by every word out of the mouth of God in the wilderness, not living by, on, on physical food, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
When you, when you read the Old Testament, what I want you to see is that Jesus Christ is in every scene. And Elijah here is just a, a picture. He's foreshadowing of the coming Christ. And look at how this section ends. It says, after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. God said there was going to be no rain. And there was no rain. And eventually what happens when there's no rain, the water dries up. Which brings us to our second point. God shows power over the rain. God shows power over the rain. It's interesting, really, chapter 17 and chapter 18 all kind of encompass this drought that God brings. God's bringing a drought. And just think about it, if you're in an agricultural uh, uh, area. I, I never heard in my life when I was a child uh, growing up in the Midwest, the great land of the Chicago Cubs, uh, that people prayed for rain. I never heard that, right? I moved to Manning, South Carolina, and during a prayer meeting, someone said, we, we just prayed that it would rain. Never heard someone pray for rain before. Well, if you're in a place that has a lot of farms, guess what? Rain's a pretty big deal, right? Rain is, is necessary for food to, to grow. And what you see, when, when periods of drought happen, everyone kind of suffers. So there, there's drought in the, in the physical, but I think we all have maybe have gone through droughts in our lives. Maybe droughts in a, in a spiritual way, a drought in relationships, just droughts, things that are challenging and, and things that cause suffering. And God uses this particular drought to do many things, to communicate that he is God over the, over the whole earth, God over the, the, the rain, but he's also God over individuals. Watch how this happens. The first thing we see is that God sends Elijah to a widow. Look at verse 8. This is then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Notice each place God is calling uh, Elijah to go and plant roots. Go and spend time there. Uh, verse um, 9. So, uh, arise and go to Zarephath, which is inside and dwell there. Behold, I commanded a widow to feed you. Now, does God send Elijah, and in my own thing I was thinking, does God send Elijah uh, to the widow for Elijah's sake or for the widow's sake? Because, I mean, Elijah is the, is the key part of this story, right? And Elijah was, was the one who, who needed to be, to be fed and, and, and nourished. Was God caring for Elijah primarily, or was he caring for the widow? Well, the answer is both. God cares both for Elijah and for the widows. God is going to use the faithfulness of his prophet to bless someone in the midst of their suffering, while at the same time encouraging Elijah in his ministry by showing his power. Look at verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Isn't this just a subtle thing when you look at the Old Testament prophets? God commands his people. What, do they, what does his people do? They obey. This is what they do. So if you're going to be a follower of God today, when God speaks, you go. There's not a questioning and thinking, should I do this or should I not? If God says it, you do it. Period. We see that all throughout Scripture, God's people obey his word. And he arose and he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son 
that we may eat it and die. So if you see how the story's kind of going, Elijah goes to the widow and says, Hey, can, I, can you give me some water? And what does the woman do? Immediately she goes and provides, tries to provide water for uh, Elijah. And as she turns to go and get water, Elijah stops and says, Oh, by the way, could you get me a little food as well? Now, at first, she was freely going to give the water. Maybe she had a little bit more. But the second thing, when he asks for food, the, the maternal instincts come up, right? I, I, I only have enough for me and my son. We, we just want to have one last meal together before we die. This drought was affecting everybody. All of us are used to having three square meals a day, but can you imagine living in a country where you don't have that luxury? You know, sadly, that's the way many people live in our world. They don't have daily food. And we have such an abundance uh, that we often uh, fall in the trap of, of gluttony. But here, the, this woman, even as she uh, is hesitant to, to serve Elijah with food, what, is, what does she say? As the Lord your God lives. Even this widow in Zarephath knows there is this, this duality, that is this, this conflict, this, this rivalry between God of Israel and Baal. As your God lives, she says. And she doesn't say, as our God. She says, your God. She would put herself outside being a follower of the Lord. All she has is a little bit of food. And she is going to prepare it and then to die. And look what Elijah says to her in verse 13. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me afterward. Make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Do not fear. How many times do we see that in Scripture? A, a situation that seems fearful. Will I have enough to live? Will I be able to make it? Will God show up? This woman has a choice. Is she going to trust God's word or is she going to go away? God, through his prophet, says there will be enough. You will be provided for until the rain comes. And what does this pagan woman do? She acts in obedience. She hears the word of the Lord and she responds. What, what do we see her do? And she went and did as Elijah said, verse 15. And she and her, and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. You know, story after story uh, over the past six years, I have heard God providing for his people. Uh, when, when people in our, in our congregation have been to the point when they don't think they're going to be able to make it, God has shown up. God has sent money out of uh, unknown places. God has, has cared for the people here. Right? I could share unique and specific examples for, for many of you here. Right? That's exactly what's happening here. God takes what is, which is um, not enough and he expands it. He makes it enough to feed this woman and this uh, child as well as 
Elijah. And it says they ate for many days. And just think about how many conversations they had over these many days. I don't know about you, but rarely do I sit down and eat and, and not say anything. You know, I'm not sure who I met this past week. I, I, I was talking to someone and they just, they made the, the comment that I talk all the time. <laughs> someone was just mad. I'm like, you know, he probably can't keep quiet. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, um, I don't want to say free. So they're, they're, they're talking about what God is doing, right? And, and God is just caring for this widow, not only by caring for her, by feeding her, uh, but caring for her soul, by hearing the great stories of God's care for Israel time and time again. You know, the drought had a multiplicity of purposes. Remember, our big picture stuff, God is trying to show King Ahab and all of Israel that there is one God. There is the Lord and no other. And not only is he trying to show all of Israel, he's trying to show the heart of this widow and her son that there is the Lord and no other. God does big things and little things all the time in our, our world. So, example from, from our own church life this past week. So, uh, we had our air uh, van fixed up before we went to Boston. It was all fixed up on the way uh, to Boston. Now, it's about a 17-hour drive, you know, so we're along the way. Right around what, 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, the air conditioning went out. Uh, the, the hose kind of popped off, and we lost all our Freon, and uh, I, I was the one who fixed it with a zip tie briefly before somebody else came with the right tools um, and, and really fixed it, but I will say that I kind of fixed it. Anyway, so we were out of AC for, for four hours. It was hot, and... Yeah, by, by God's grace, the team didn't complain, but it was it was a it was a wet, it was a it was a hot, sweaty ride. Let's just say that, okay? Uh, so because of that, I had to go and get the air conditioning fixed. We were in Boston. Um, I pulled into a, uh, a mechanic shop right across the street from the church. Talked to uh, the the head mechanic named Johnny. Talked about his faith and his upcoming child. His you know wonderful story of just kind of being able to share the gospel in, in little pieces there and. Um, so I got the air conditioning a little bit fixed. The Freon was filled up 20 minutes. Took went driving again. The hose popped off again. Right. So I, I pulled it back in. I said, "Yeah, it didn't work, man." He said, "Well, just I got to take care of this guy, but I want to I want I want to talk to you. I like you, so keep keep talking." So I parked the car another hour, just kind of waiting, talking to him in the shop. Um, and at this this whole time, there's another guy named Keith, another mechanic who's just working hard. Right, not talking to him. And when I pulled the, the bus in the second time, Keith was the one who was fixing things. And right off the bat, Keith just and I struck up a conversation. He's like, oh, you guys are, you're a pastor. You're coming down from here. I'm like, yeah, you're a Christian. He goes, well, no, I lost my faith when I went to war and just saw the, the, the horrors of, of humanity. And now that I'm back, I'm kind of open to think about things. And I just started talking to him. I said, hey, I, you know, do you have any family here? And talking about how his, his, he was abandoned as, as a child by his mother at 10. His dad got a new family and he lived as a homeless from 10 to 16, you know, but the way he spoke was very gracious, not a believer, but the way he spoke about his family was one that tried to honor his family. As the conversation goes, I, I encouraged him to, with the gospel and I told him, would you be willing to meet with uh, Pastor Dane uh, here and walk through the Bible together? He said, oh, I'd love that. Right. And by the end of the trip, they, they met and exchanged numbers and were trying to set up a time to meet and walk through the scriptures. And um, right before I left, I looked at him. I said, Keith, I just want you to know that the way you're speaking about your, your, your family and how they've kind of wronged you, uh, and how you, you care for them, is just an act of God's righteousness. That is God's grace to you and how you're trying to treat your family. And he kind of looked at me kind of funny, and he went off, and he came back about three minutes later, and he took off his glove, and he says, hey, can I shake your hand? And he said, I, I've never got that kind of an affirmation in my entire life. I just want to thank you. 
right? So I say that to say the, the, the sweaty, you know, 10 hours, right, or the seven hours that we spent in that bus, there was a purpose in it. There was a purpose to teach God's people not to complain and not to grumble, but to be grateful for, for a car that works. But it was also to care for Keith's heart, to draw him, to, to woo him to, to the cross. That's exactly what's happening here. There's this big picture stuff that's happening to Israel. To, to, there is the Lord and no other. But there's also God trying to care for this widow's heart and this widow's son. Well, last point. We see God shows his power in the resurrection. God shows his power in the resurrection. Look at verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Now, we don't know how long uh, the many days is, but we know that Elijah was, was spending a lot of time with his widow and her son. You can imagine some, some, some love and some relationship is starting to build. Uh, so this, this woman has a son that says no breath was left in him. And she said to Elijah, notice this, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Notice that the woman's, what she says. Her son dies and her first thought is to bring my sin to remembrance. The Bible doesn't tell us at all about her sins, does it? doesn't tell us about her life before she met Elijah, but she was very well aware. We don't need the specifics. Why? Because we know sin. We know sin because we know our own hearts. Now, those of you who are here who are, who are non, a non-Christian, we welcome you. But, but you know deep down that, that you have done wrong, that you have rebelled against God because, because there's that feeling that every one of us knows that the prick of our conscience know that we have not done all that we should have done. When life deals us difficulty, we are reminded of the, reminded of the fallenness of our world and the fallenness of ourselves. James had a wonderful conversation with an Armenian an older man in Boston. Uh, and they, they, were, they were talking, and, and as soon as he, he, they found out that James was a Baptist, he they goes, okay, kind of like end of conversation. Um, but they kind of engaged in this conversation and talked. And, you know, by the, by the end of the conversation, the man was able to say this, you know, you're right. I am a sinner. At that moment, he didn't turn and didn't say, yes, I believe in God. But he says, yes, I'm a sinner. During one of the, the, the meals serving the homeless, a man came in, into God's, God's house, God's sanctuary, uh, wearing a shirt that says, unholy, 666. Really in a way to kind of take a shot at all the, the people who are trying to, trying to help him. And Grant came up to him and just says, hey brother, you got the first part right of salvation. You have identified that you are unholy and that you are a sinner, right? But we all know that. This woman knows it. The death of her son happens right before, and she blames herself. It was very common when, when tragedy happened in, in the ancient world. They blamed that it was the result of the parents. We see that story about Jesus and the blind man. Was this his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus says, no, it's for the glory of, of God. So we all have sin, but the question is, what do you do with it? How do you handle it? You may try to bury it, like this woman probably did. But at certain times, it's going to be, it's going to well up. It can't be avoided. Well, look at how this story goes on. In verse 19, he said to her, give me your son. And he took him and 
from her arms and carried him to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Even Elijah knows that God is the one who is in charge of all life. God allowed this young man to die. Verse 21, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Isn't it amazing how much it took this woman to believe? She was, she was being fed by a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour for many days until the rains came. And even that, seeing God's provision, God's care, did not turn her heart to the Lord. It wasn't until her son was dead and was brought back to life. It wasn't until the, the resurrection happened that she turned and believed. Sometimes it takes years for people to believe. Andy and, and Dana uh, are working among Muslims. It takes an average time period for a Muslim to repeatedly hear the gospel seven years before they come to Christ. Friends, there, there's some of you who have, are, are beginning to weary with people in your life whether they're ever going to turn back to Christ, whether they're ever going to believe. Can I just encourage you? Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. It may take many days of sharing God's word to them. But it's ultimately going to take the resurrection power of God to infect their heart and open their eyes to the beauty of Christ. This is God's doing. So there are two questions. First for the non-Christian and one to the Christian. If you are here and you are a non-Christian, what will it take for you to believe? What will it take in your life for you to believe in this God? The scripture says that he is the Lord and there is no other that you're a sinner and He has provided a way through the Lord Jesus Christ, death and His resurrection. He's given you hope. What will it take for you to believe? Christian, what will it take for you to obey? There's some of you who are just struggling with sin. What will it take for you to obey? For you to show that there is the Lord and no other. Turn from your idols. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. He will give you the resurrection power. As I said before, Elijah is kind of a, a precursor, a, a, a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah. Those of you who are familiar in Jesus' ministry, there's a scenario in his life and ministry that was very similar uh, to Elijah. Uh, it happens in all of the Synoptic Gospels, Mark chapter 5, Matthew chapter chapter 9, and Luke chapter 8. It's the, it's the story of, of, of Jairus' daughter uh, the, who came to Jesus and says, Will you heal my daughter? She's sick. And all along the way, they meet the woman with the discharge of blood. And, and the, woman die, the, the, the daughter dies along the way. And he gets there. And in two of the three accounts, he, he says, everyone's saying the woman is dead. 
Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. And Jesus looked at him and says, do not fear, believe. Do not fear, believe. She's not dead. She's merely sleeping. What we see here in Elijah, right, bringing life from the death, is that it's just picturing what Jesus Christ would eventually come and do in the flesh. Because you notice, what did, what did Elijah have to do? Elijah had to call unto God, crying out to God, Lord, will you give life to this, this boy? When Jesus walked in, into the upper chamber with that little girl, all he says is, dear one, little child, arise. He didn't have to call out to God because he was God in the flesh. The resurrection, the resurrected life that we have in Christ only comes through belief. Do not fear, believe. Do not fear taking that step of obedience. Do not fear turning to Christ. Do not fear what you have to leave behind to follow Christ. Do not fear, believe, Jesus says. There is hope in the midst of this drought. God brings resurrection and life to a lonely widow, an abandoned son, and through a lonely prophet. All with the same words. Do not fear. Believe. Father, I pray that we would not fear, but we would believe. We would believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, that we would abide with him in obedience. For God, there is no one but you. You are the Lord and there is no other. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.